Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Imperfections Matches Talk Radio, a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. This is Jeffina, your host. I'm the founder of Intersections Match, the only matchmaking and dating coaching company focused on South Asian singles throughout North America. As a dating coach and matchmaker, I'm always interested in fresh perspectives from authors, researchers, and experts to help me provide unparalleled service to our clients. I'm very excited to welcome marriage and family therapist Lisa Bobby to our show today. I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with Lisa as fellow panelist at the Great Love Debate in Denver and thought she'd have great insights for our listeners. So on today's show, we'll be discussing Lisa's insights regarding the relationship patterns she sees in her premarital and marital counseling practice. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, Jasbina. Thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I want to just jump right in. And so I'm wondering what are some of the most common reasons that people seek premarital counseling with you? Well, I think there are two main reasons that people seek premarital counseling. First of all, there are some couples that are just very conscientious and proactive, and they want to do everything right. They take marriage very seriously, and so those types of couples Mm -hmm. often just see premarital counseling as something that must be done. And so they will take a good class and learn what they need to know in order to keep their marriage safe. Um, So they'll look for good premarital counseling classes that have communication components, information on how to manage conflict, and also particular training on how to come to agreement around major aspects of marriage like parenting, housework, finances, and so forth. So that's one type. Another type of couple seeks out premarital counseling if they know they love each other, they know that they want to get married, Mm -hmm. but they feel like they have some things to work out first. Maybe they do have a little bit of conflict in their relationship or some points of friction, and they just want to, um, you know, do the wise thing, which is get that resolved before entering into marriage so that it doesn't cause problems down the road. Okay, excellent. So now what would you say are the most common kinds of negative patterns that you see premarital couples engage in. And this could be couples you see, even couples you don't, but you notice and kind of wish that they would consider coming into you. But, you know, the the negative patterns that you see, what, what might those be? Yeah, absolutely. There is one particular very, very common relationship pattern that couples okay. very frequently fall into, and that is what is called a pursue-withdraw dynamic. And so let me explain what that means. It's based on attachment theory. So it's the idea that people need to feel safe and secure with each other. 
person A, most frequently women, although not always, sometimes this happens with men, will start to feel um, like their partner is pulling away. Maybe they feel um, unloved or that their partner isn't there for them the way they want them to. And so in order to try to get their partner to re-engage, they tend to pursue. And what this sounds like can be criticism, anger, even outright hostility. A pursual is, hey, where did you go? This is bothering me. I'm upset with you. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this exactly. happening? And so you have that kind of angry kind of pursual. On the other side of that is the withdrawer. So a withdrawer might experience their partner as being hostile or critical or contemptuous, and they start to feel emotionally unsafe in the relationship. So as a result, they begin to pull away, they begin to shut down, they begin to protect themselves. And this creates kind of a system where the more somebody withdraws, the more somebody else has to pursue and vice versa. And that is a very common relationship pattern that I see in many couples in premarital counseling and regular marriage counseling. And it's important that people um, notice what's happening and take action to change that pattern because unless there's intervention and it is intentionally stopped, that pattern tends to get worse over time, not better. You know, that is so interesting. You know what that um, that reminds me of? We had another guest, um, you know, author of a book on attachment theory, and he was talking about, you know, the anxious and the avoidant. Would you say that the anxious style is, is similar to the pursue, pursuer yes. and the avoidant similar to the withdrawer? So, okay, okay, very interesting. Our um, they're seeing, per, okay, wonderful. So, and it seems that the anxious and avoidant seem to pair up often, which seems similar to what you're saying with the pursuer and withdrawer kind of dynamic. That mm-hmm. um, that happens there. Interesting. I, you know, I think it's so wonderful for our listeners to hear, you know, the these concepts from different people, sort of from different vantage points. But um, very interesting. Tell me um, now, do these patterns at different ages or different stages of life? People who are premarital, you know, in their twenties, early thirties, versus people who are coming to maybe um, you know fifties, sixties. Do, do you see some? some differences there with respect to the negative patterns at all? Well, I do think that in newer relationships, people tend Mm -hmm. to be less pure in their relationships in general. So um, people can be, um, you know, I I think uh, it takes a little bit less to set people off in newer relationships just because they don't have that history. They don't know each other on the sure. same level. Okay. However, okay. however, it doesn't mean that it's more that older relationships are better off necessarily because a lot of times in newer relationships, people still have a lot of positive feelings for each other. Their sense of connection, their sense of love, their sense of trust, their romance, it has not eroded. Where sometimes in longer-term relationships, either people feel more secure and trusting with each other, or if these pursue, withdraw, or to use other language, anxious, avoidant kinds of patterns have been happening for a long time, they mm-hmm. their relationship may have been quite damaged through years of that that negative pattern. Okay. So, yeah, interesting. Interesting. So, so that is very interesting. So, it sounds like you were talking about sort of the early stage, like premarital, and then the the marital. What about premarital? But premarital with different mm-hmm. ages or different stages of life. So, someone, have you seen any patterns among you know the premarital, like maybe you know 
married, married at an earlier age and a premarital among people who are marrying, you know, at 50s or late 40s or 60s or a bit older in terms of the premarital. So both being premarital, but you see any difference in the, in the, in the different issues that come up with the different stages of life, the different ages, or, or not, not really yeah. in the same pattern? Well, no, I mean, I, I do, and I think that it's more related to the stages of life. Yeah. You know, with okay. younger with younger people, I think that they have some sure. advantages and that they can be more flexible with each other. Okay. Um, whereas okay. older people sometimes they have kind of entrenched ways of doing things. You know, if you imagine that in all capital letters, this is the way to sure. Do and sometimes uh-huh. you know, sharing <laughs> their life with a new partner at that point, yeah, they can that can cause some problems. But at the same time, sure. you know, sometimes people have learned how to be flexible. They have learned how to let things go that younger people sometimes struggle with. You know, again, younger people can sometimes be a lot more emotionally reactive than older people sure. are. But again, that's that's just such a generalization. I mean, it really depends a lot on the person. But, um, okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So what do you think is at the root of these premarital problems that you see? Most typically. Right. Well, when it comes to that very common problem that I mentioned, that pursue, withdraw pattern, it is really related to that sense of attachment that apparently you had somebody else on the show talking about. But that is, attachment is really the, the glue that holds people, that holds a relationship together. And whenever that your attachment is disrupted is when you see people engaging in conflict, either pursuing or either withdrawing. And so the thing to do in these moments is really try to help each other feel safe and don't just, you know, take what somebody is saying if somebody is getting angry and somebody is getting critical. You know, try to not take that at face value, but really see underneath it. Like, what are they trying to communicate? Because people mm-hmm. only seem angry when they're either feeling hurt or when they're feeling scared. So try to figure okay. out what is going on with my partner that's making them feel hurt or scared right now and attend to that. And similarly, you know, when people withdraw, again, it's because their sense of safety in the relationship has been disrupted. And so for somebody whose partner seems to be withdrawing to understand, hey, you know, don't take it personally, that they are having, they're not feeling safe with me right now. And what can I do to help them feel safe and not as threatened or not like I'm going to snap their head off or, you know, be upset with them if they come close to me again emotionally. So understanding always that attachment is at the core. Wonderful. And and that would also help us to have empathy for our partners, right? Because the whole thing, someone coming at it at anger is one thing, but when you realize, you know, like you said, they're feeling hurt, they're feeling scared, then there's, you know, you can develop a sense of empathy for that. And, okay, wow, now I want to, you know, nurture that a little bit more. And and Mm -hmm. tell me, what, now, in terms of marital counseling, I know you do both, which is, which is wonderful. I mean, I really um, would love to see kind of the different perspectives on that. In terms of marital counseling, what are some of the most common reasons people are seeking that, you know, at later stages of the whole marriage relationship? Yeah, well, you know, the the sort of um, surface problems that people are dealing with can be very different. It can be disagreements about parenting. It can be disagreements around finances or housework or, Um, you know, people feeling threatened by somebody having an outside relationship. I mean, it can be all kinds of stuff. Most frequently, though, I think that problems that married couples have come down to communication. But always at 
at the core of it. It doesn't matter what that external circumstance is. It is how do you regain that feeling of safety and trust and security. So, you know, the superficial problems, a great way to prevent those is to do something like good premarital counseling because that just has so many potential problems off at the path. But when these problems are happening, it almost always goes down to how do we trust each other again and how do we repair our good feelings about each other? Because, Jasmina, as a marriage counselor, I can tell people, okay, here's what you need to do to get on the same page around housework. But if they are Mm -hmm. feeling angry with each other or resentful towards each other, they won't do it. So we actually have to repair the fabric of their emotional connection first and only then many times are couples able to really successfully resolve their problems. Now, how, in terms of repairing this fabric and in terms of a solution to this, um, mm-hmm. share with us, how, how do you go about that as a therapist? How do you go about repairing the fabric of a relationship to be able to, you know, deal with, like, which is a, the issues that are that come bubbling at the surface in terms of that? How, how does one do that? Yeah. Well, there are a number of interventions that we use in marriage counseling, but one of the the biggest ones is something that every single one of your listeners can do at home tonight if they want to, and that is really helping people to listen. You know, when there's stuff going on, and, and I don't know if you've had this experience, I know I've been married forever, and I certainly have, is that when things start to get heated, we often assume uh-huh. a position of wanting to be heard, So we Mm -hmm, start talking mm -hmm. about how we feel and our perspective and what we think is the right answer and get very focused on promoting our own agenda. And so as a marriage counselor, a lot of what I do is simply getting people to stop talking and really Mm -hmm. start listening to their partner and really hearing what are they trying to say. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to believe that too. But I do have to listen to what they're saying and acknowledge their perspective as being their truth and not just hearing their words but communicating back to them, I understand how you feel. When I look at the situation through your eyes, I can see how it makes sense. And as soon as people feel understood and like their partners have some empathy for them, that goes such a long way to restoring trust and repairing the fabric in the relationship. And anybody can be the one to start. You know, if my husband and I were starting to get into a conflict, I could just start for 10 minutes. I could put all my energy into listening to him and help him feel like I understand him. And I tell you what, he would calm right down. And as soon as he did, he would be more than happy to listen to me too. It's if we're both trying to be heard at the same time. That's when fights happen. And so that is one of the biggest things that marriage counselors do to help each other, help people heal their relationships. I love that. You know, I tell people often just, you know, and it's easier said than done. I completely understand. But this idea of, you know, (laughs) seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And if you do that, the chances of both people feeling understood, right, is is far greater. Um, Yeah. Wonderful. be now, willing to go okay. first, you know. I think yeah, sometimes people worry; first. they feel like they're giving too much, you know, that they're they won't be heard if they listen to their partner. But the idea is to be generous, and it's okay to give and to be the one that goes to change your relationship. Okay, love it. Don't don't worry about being the first. Yeah, you're not giving anything up. You're actually um, just 
enhancing. And I, I imagine that you've probably seen when one person is, starts to do that, they're not necessarily the person that's always doing it. The other person is probably, you know, having that feeling and having that is going to reciprocate, I would think. Um, you probably see that where it flips that. Both people, you know, can do that. Once someone starts, um, okay. So when I love that too because it's just, it shows how the dynamic of a relationship can be changed by just one person taking that step. And, you know, even if not both people are not on board initially, one person needs to be on board, do that, and then when both people see the fruits of that, I imagine it, it could be a domino effect in a good way and just um, feed off itself. Tell me, um, why at the beginning of a relationship, sometimes there's a dynamic where people suddenly lose interest even when, you know, they seem in, extremely interested sometimes before. What, what's behind that? What have you seen in terms of that? Yeah, well, you know, that can vary a little bit person to person, but it's not okay. uncommon at all for people to kind of get spooked at the beginning of a relationship. And okay. what often happens with that is when people start to idealize a person, they um, are very quick to kind of rush into a relationship emotionally. So they mm-hmm. get super interested in somebody, and whenever that happens, just because it takes such a long time to really get to know somebody, is that the mm-hmm. early stages of relationship are always a lot of fantasy, because the truth is, is that you don't really know who another person is. That requires exactly. a long time of seeing people, how they respond to things, how they behave across different situations. And so when people rush in emotionally to relationships, with people that they don't know very well, when the people that they're in a the relationship with do something or counter to what they think that person is, the person that they've made them out to be in their mind, they will often mm-hmm. get kind of spooked and pull away. Because the truth is, mm. is that people who tend to rush into relationships very quickly in, in an emotional Regard, I mean, meaningless. They're like putting a lot of their eggs into one person's basket, like straight off the bat. Those relationships tend to be fragile and more reactive Mm -hmm. and more prone to people like changing their mind all of a sudden than relationships Mm -hmm. that grow more slowly over time where people get to know each other bit by bit. Because in those slower sorts of relationships, people are able to take their time and really be in reality as they're getting to know a person and let that unfold as opposed to making those assumptions and then all of a sudden being like, wait a minute, you aren't who I thought you were and and <laughs> pulling back suddenly. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, yeah. you must see that in your dating coaching, I would think. Yeah, I think there there is definitely, you know, I say that there's really, really no substitute for time and interaction with someone. And, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I analogize it to an onion. Like, don't be so fast to kind of rush in and, you know, want to know everything right away, but allow it to be sort of peeling fast the layers of an onion as you get to know someone. So that's an analogy I use often. And I think this idea of, you know, getting to know someone's, Slowly, bit by bit, the chances of sort of like said, sort of projecting this fantasy on another person is less, right? Because you said it's, it's more based in the reality of who that person is as opposed to kind of your fantasy of who that person um, should be in your mind or, or is in your mind. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. Um, tell me what, um, you know, what are some positive relationship patterns that a couple can engage in 
you know, it's a pre- almost preventatively, right, to prevent marital concerns in the future. Um, so, you know, some positive kind of preemptive strikes, if you will, that they can, they can engage in. What might those be? Yes, absolutely, and that's such a wonderful question. And there are simple things that every couple can start doing today to make their relationship better. And first of all, really listening to your partner as we've been discussing. So, you know, Mm -hmm. today, ask your partner, how are you? And really listen to the answer. And then use a technique that we call empathic listening, which might sound a little bit weird to do at first, but it's basically reflecting back what you have heard the other person say. And it doesn't have to be word for word. It doesn't have to be a, you know exact mimicking, but just to kind of summarize what you're hearing that person saying because as soon as you do that, they're really going to feel heard by you. And then they're going to mm-hmm. want to open up more. And they're going to feel emotionally safer with you. They're also going to feel like you really care. So just to summarize it, you know, Jasmine, I just I heard you talking about you know, how you often feel like you um, encourage people to go into relationships slowly. You know, I mean, just simple reflective statements like that can really go a long way. Another thing, too, I think is to practice the lost art of validation, which is, you know, take empathy one step further, which empathy is that you understand how somebody else feels. Validation Mm -hmm. is finding both both implicit and explicit thing, ways to say, you know what, that makes sense. I understand why you would feel the way that you would. I mean, imagine how you feel validated by your friends. That it's like, oh, my gosh, I would totally have felt the same way. You know, I mean, just to have that sort of affirmation and to be able to get that from your partner, it, it is like drinking water in a desert when you get validation from your par- partner. So be very careful to give as much validation as you can, genuine validation. And then the third real key to having a really good relationship is through responsiveness. And so standing validation is communicating your understanding and your care, but responsiveness means that you show your partner that you care about them by following through so that when your partner has asked you to do something like, you know, it makes it so much easier for me when you load the dishwasher at night because I don't have to do it in the morning. And you say, yeah, I understand how you feel. That makes sense to me. You have to actually unload the dishwasher. You have to follow through. You have to show up and demonstrate to your partner that you are hearing them and understanding them through your actions. Because at the end of the day, you know, people show us who they are, not through their words, but through what they do. And so when we can demonstrate our love to our partners, that is ultimately what will create a wonderful relationship. I love that. And, you know, these reflective statements, I completely can appreciate the value in terms of making someone feel understood. And I think another um, another great benefit of that is just, it can stem misimpressions, right? Because I mean, sometimes we hear our partner say something and we automatically, you know, speaking about projection, right? We sometimes automatically kind of assume, uh, have a story about what they're saying and its meaning. And if you do the reflective statements, then in case you do kind of get it wrong, there's that opportunity to be, you know, to correct and to kind of course correct there. So you're not kind of walking around with the wrong story in your head. So I I love that. Um, now, you know, based on your experiences with both premarital and marital counseling, I've just some great tips for singles, you know, searching for a life partner, some sort of 
um, with hindsight, you know, something. So I'm wondering, what would your top three tips be to singles who are really, you know, serious, commitment-minded and really looking for a life partner? What might they be? Certainly. Well, you know, I think that my biggest tip is actually something that we were discussing in our mm-hmm. love debate experience together, Jasmine. Okay. Is that so many people have preconceived ideas about what their partners should be, and they react very strongly to little things, like little clues that people give off that might not be in mm-hmm. line with what they think they want in a partner. And I mm-hmm. have to tell you, I think that so many relationships that could be absolutely wonderful never even get a chance because people judge people prematurely and they make all kinds of assumptions about people on these tiny little clues. So my number one advice to people is, you know, get to know somebody first. Be willing to talk to anyone and see what kind of person they are. And certainly if somebody creeps you out or doesn't feel like the right kind of fit, then of course pass it on. But, you know, be willing to give people a chance because if you are too quick to judge, you might really be missing an absolute gem. You know, like if my husband of 20 years got in touch with me through an online dating site, I might Mm -hmm. not pick his profile based on what he would write and what he would show me is who he is. But getting to know him, he has a heart of gold and he's like the best guy. And if I had judged him on superficial appearances, I might not have gotten the chance to know that. So that would really be tip number one. Um, Tip number two, I think, goes back to what you and I were talking about a couple minutes ago, which is to get to know people over time. The other thing that I see people doing pretty frequently in my dating practice and is, is that they tend to rush into relationships too quickly. Either they start spending lots and lots of time with somebody in a very short period of time, or they start mm-hmm. like, kind of having these fantasy relationships in their mind and they're making all kinds of assumptions. You know, just assume that it is going to take a minimum of you know, weeks, really several months of pretty consistent dating before you start to get to know somebody. Um, so slow down would be the second one. Mm-hmm. And then third, I think that while it is very important to put your best foot forward and to not do anything that will, um, you know, sabotage an early relationship along the lines of Rachel Greenwald's wonderful advice, how she coaches people to, you know, not um, – lead with some of the personal qualities that might be off-putting to others, which I think is wonderful advice. I do also think that it's extremely important to try similar to you in terms of their values and Mm -hmm. to be authentic in that search because it's much, much easier to have a really solid, sustainable relationship with someone who has similar values to you, like in core, basic needs and and desires and feelings than it is to try to have a good relationship with somebody who might have very different values from you. So, you know, while you want to put your best foot forward, also be be authentic and don't be afraid to talk about who you are, what kinds of things are important to you, just so that you and your potential date can kind of um, 
determine whether or not you're going to be a good match long term because it's easy to like the same music and both have fun playing frisbee golf or whatever, but values is really what will keep a relationship together for the long haul. I absolutely agree. And I'm wondering, so Lisa, you know, our listeners consist of women and men of a variety of ages and ethnic backgrounds. Um, that said, our, um, our matchmaking dating coaching service that does focus on South Asians, mainly Indians, um, who are choosing to opt out of arranged marriages. Okay, so with that backdrop, I'm really curious. I'm wondering if whether from your practitioner perspective or potentially while you were training and potentially exposed to different, um, different, different concepts during your training period, um, if you have any opinions or insights of any kind you know, sort of from the outside regarding regarding arranged marriages. I'm just I'm just really curious about this. I'm, I'm no idea. It's a wild card question, but I said I'm going to find out from Lisa if she has any exposure to or any any opinions. I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, un- unfortunately, and I I would welcome it, sure. but in my particular practice, I have not okay. worked with any couples in in okay. marriage counseling that have had arranged sure. marriages. But maybe that's a good thing, Jasmina, because I don't know if couples who have arranged marriages aren't showing up for marriage counseling with me. So that might be a sign that, that are good things. But I have to tell you, um, people that I have spoken to and anecdotal stories that I've heard about arranged marriages mm-hmm. have been overwhelmingly. Okay. And here's why I think that arranged mm-hmm. marriages do tend to be so successful. And this is my personal opinion is that sure. love, love, real, authentic, true love, I believe mm-hmm. is a choice. I don't think it's a feeling. I think that yeah. people get really confused, especially in early relationships when they have feelings of anxiety and feelings of excitement and that thrilling kind of feeling. I think that people confuse that feeling with love. Whereas my mm-hmm. concept of love is certainly positive feelings. And yes, it can feel excited and romantic and all of those things. But that love is a choice that comes from values. And I think that we choose to behave with love. We choose to show each other love. And if you have begun a relationship making a profound commitment to love somebody, no matter whether or not you feel like it, I think that you have such an advantage going into a relationship compared to many people who get married for feelings of like romantic love because in those cases love can be based on feeling loving does that make sense because it's it's very easy to yeah. yeah, I think I think there's something profound there. I mean, I'm often so our our we really I like to think what you know sort of a philosophy underlying our services is one of blending what I consider to be optimal, the best of the East and the West. And so one mm-hmm. thing that I think is that I think you put your finger on it in terms of one you know one great insight and something I think is worth everyone considering for themselves regardless of ethnicity is this decision to commit right because the thing is once mm-hmm. you make a decision, right? I think it is really profound to distinguish between a decision and a feeling is once you make a decision to commit, what's interesting about that is you also then um, make certain other choices and decisions in alignment with that. For example, with your partner, 
you cho- if you've decided to commit to someone, then you choose to focus. You, your tendency is to choose to focus on the positive, right? Because it would be very, the positive things in your partner, right? So all of us have positive negative. And so I think once you make a decision to commit, it's a rational choice then, right? It's a self-preservation to focus on the positive in your partner as opposed to noticing all the things that maybe could be better, could be different, right, could be improved upon because um, you, know, you have decided to commit to this person for, you know, for the sake of living a happy life, you know, surrounding yourself and focusing on the positive in this person and the relationship makes for a much happier, fulfilled life. So in that sense, I think that idea of deciding to commit or deciding to love is, is very profound. So, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your sharing all your insights with us. I'm wondering if there's any last thought or take-home message you'd like to leave our listeners with. Hmm. Well, I think that really just to highlight what we've been talking about, if you're, if you're dating, mm-hmm. go slow and be thoughtful about it. You know, keep an open mind, but also be on the lookout and make sure that, you know, your values are aligned because i tell you what, it's a lot easier to make changes earlier in a relationship than it is when you're 10 years and a couple kids and a mortgage into a marriage. <laughs> that is uh-huh. not the time to, to find out that you're not fundamentally compatible. So be wise as you're going about dating. If you are bumping up against marriage, please do get into a good premarital class or some good premarital counseling so that you have the opportunity to make those commitments together, uh, get an alignment around how your marriage is going to be before you get married. It will just save you so much um, time and energy and heartache trying to hash it out with each other. You know, it doesn't have to be that hard. Mm -hmm. So take a class, get into some premarital counseling. And then lastly, be very aware of that system that we were talking about, that cycle, that pursue, withdraw kind of thing. And notice, you know, if your partner is pulling away, what does that make you feel like doing? And then mm-hmm. think about what you could do instead in order to help your partner feel safe with you again. Or likewise, if you're starting to feel attacked or badgered by their partner, by your partner, take a look at how they might be hurting and respond to that instead of the anger. And also, just to everybody in the sound of my voice, a pattern happening in your relationship and you're mm-hmm. not able to repair it easily um, using the you know listening skills or trying to create safety skills it's much 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 better to get into some marriage counseling sooner rather than later because the longer mm-hmm. these things go on the more toxic they tend to become and they can really damage a relationship over time. So a lot of couples make the mistake of waiting too long or waiting until things are really bad to get into marriage counseling. And so it will be much, much easier to repair your relationship if you go sooner while you still feel good about each other than if you wait several years later and you're both like so angry and so hurt. At some point, the best marriage counselor in the world can't put it back together again. So that would be my final words of advice. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. And in The case pleasure you was us, mine. Thank you. Thank you. And in case you joined us late, I would like to share the show with people in your life. I'd like to remind you that today's radio show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. Appreciate you hanging out with us and make sure to join us for next month's show. Good night, everyone. Take care.